Well, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. My name is Nathan. I'm blessed to serve here on staff at Hallmark. Well, we are in week number two of our series called Gideon, When Life is Bigger Than You. And so we'll be jumping right back in uh, where Pastor John left off last week. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app with you, open up with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. As a quick recap, we saw that last week in verses 1 through 16 that Gideon was a major underdog. Now, I was one of those people that had never seen underdog, just saying. But Gideon was scared. He was laying low, literally, trying to hide out from the Midianites when all of a sudden God shows up and all of a sudden Gideon's life changes. And Pastor John pointed out that in the story of Gideon, and really in every story that we find in Scripture, God is the hero of the story. Not Gideon, not you, not me. God is the hero. And in a good story, when the hero shows up, things happen. Typically, if you are watching a superhero movie or maybe you're reading a comic, it's at the very end of the story. seems like all hope is lost, defeat is certain. Uh, it seems like nothing good can happen. And then out of nowhere, the hero appears, and the people of the town or the city, they get pumped, they get excited, they get hopeful, uh, not because their circumstances have changed, but because the hero is there. And that's exactly what God loves to do for you and for me. You know, our circumstances in life, they can get difficult, right? They can get scary, they can get hard, uh, they can get depressing, but God loves to show up and whenever God shows up, his presence changes everything. That's the title of today's message. God's presence changes everything. So the first thing we'll see here in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 17, is that God's presence brings peace. Look at verse 17 with me. And he said to him, this is Gideon talking to God, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So as we'll see over and over and over again, Gideon is someone who is going to struggle to believe. But I think in this particular instance, I think we can all understand why Gideon is feeling at least a little bit doubtful. Because just five minutes ago, he was hiding out in his wine press, trying to stay away from the Midianites, hoping he wouldn't get caught. And now God is talking to him, saying that he is a mighty man of valor, and that he is going to save his entire nation from oppression. So that's understandably a lot to take in in a short amount of time, right? But on the other hand, God himself is standing right in front of Gideon. Remember, Pastor John pointed out last week that this is the angel of the Lord. This is God himself. And so Gideon is talking to the angel of the Lord, and he still is like, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I could really use a sign. And it's like, Gideon, God is standing right in front of you. That is the sign, right? But as we'll see over and over again as well, as much as Gideon has fears and doubts, God is patient with Gideon. And so he lets Gideon go and prepare this sacrifice for the Lord. Look at verse 19. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot, and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. 
So while Gideon is someone who is pretty easy to criticize for all of his doubt and all of his unbelief, one thing that I have come to appreciate about him is that even though he does have fears, even though he does have doubts, he still takes steps of faith. An ephah of flour is enough flour to feed a family for several days. And remember, this is during a time when food is scarce in the land of Israel. The Midianites have been raiding them for seven years. They don't have much food. That's why Gideon was hiding out in the first place. So he brings this huge amount of flour, and on top of that, he brings a young goat. Again, livestock were also rare because they were also being taken by the Midianites. So Gideon steps out in faith and brings not a small, but a large sacrifice to the Lord. So even though he's easy to criticize, I think we also need to recognize that whenever we are afraid, we can still obey. And that fearful obedience is still obedience. God never says, you know, as long as you have complete peace, without any doubt, without any questions, without any chance of difficulty whatsoever, then you can choose to obey me. No, God asks us and expects us to obey whether or not we are afraid. And really, that's most of the time. Most of the time in the Bible, when God shows up and asks someone to do something, they're like Gideon. They're, they're terrified. Whenever God shows up in my life, in your life, when he asks us to take a step of faith, the reason why it's a step of faith is because it's probably going to be a little bit scary. But the mark of a believer, the mark of a follower of Jesus, is that we obey even though we are afraid. So Gideon now, he prepares this food, he gives him uh, this sacrifice, um, and let's look at verse 20. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the eleven cakes, and put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and touched the meat and the eleven cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock, and consumed the meat and the eleven cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. So God, the hero of the story, has shown up, and now everything has changed. Was the Midianite threat suddenly gone and defeated? No, they were still there. Did Gideon suddenly have an abundance of crops and livestock to provide for his family? No, he was still short an ephah, a flower, and a young goat. So what now is Gideon holding on to for this newfound peace? It's the presence of God. See, God does not want our circumstances to be what dictates our peace. Because you and I will go through difficult circumstances in life. 2020, am I right? But God says the things that we need to hold on to, it's his presence. It's whenever we are, not only know that God is here with us, like you, you would ask someone, oh yeah, I know God is with me. But when you know and you believe and you live the truth that God is present in your life, then that changes things. God's presence will bring you peace. Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? God's presence brings peace. 
Next, we'll see, starting in verse 25, that God's presence empowers obedience. So Gideon has built this altar, this place to worship God. That's great. But there was a problem. There was already another altar in Gideon's hometown. Look at verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. When you read through the Old Testament, you realize that God does not play when it comes to idolatry. God is very clear all throughout Scripture that he will not tolerate false gods, idols, other things taking away our worship. God says you're either all in with me or you're out. He will not share our hearts. He will not share our lives with other people, things, or false gods. So God asks Gideon here to totally destroy the altars to Baal and Asherah. And so this is a big step of faith for Gideon, because now this is a very public step of faith. So far, his encounter with God has been private and personal, and now God is asking Gideon to go out into the public and make his faith known. And this task that God is giving to Gideon, this is the same thing that God had already told his people to do way back in Exodus, long before they had ever even entered the promised land. In Exodus 34, 13, God told them, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. So now that's what Gideon is going to do in verse 27. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So the Bible here is pretty blunt about why Gideon did what he did. He did obey God, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the people. Um, so Gideon is fearful as he obeys God yet again. But does he do it? Yes, he does. So even though the Bible tells us, hey, Gideon was, he, he kind of wimped out a little bit. He didn't do it when he could see what he was doing. He kind of dragged his servants out at nighttime, and they pulled down this altar did he do it out of fear? Yes. But did he obey what God had said? Yes. And again, God honors that obedience. Fearful obedience is still obedience. You know, I would rather be like Gideon, uh, fearful but obeying, than be confident and disobey. It'd be much better to be afraid and say, God, I, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to help me or spare me here, but I'm going to do what I know you've asked me to do. I'd rather be like that, like Gideon, than say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And so Gideon here, he's afraid, but he still obeys because God's presence empowers obedience. Now look at verse 27 with me, and we'll see that God's presence redefines us. So it'd be one thing if these altars to Baal and Asherah had been set up by someone else in the town, or maybe they had been there for so long, no one even knew who had built them in the first place. But who had built these altars? Gideon's dad, right? So that's going to get a little awkward. Uh, but Gideon here, he says, I can either choose to go along with what my dad does, or I can choose to obey what God has told me to do. Now, this is a culture where you do what your parents have done. Whatever your dad's profession was, that's what you were going to be when you grew up. Wherever your parents grew up and lived and died, that's where you were probably going to grow up 
and live and die. And Gideon had very likely probably worshipped at these altars with his dad. But now God is asking him, hey, are you going to be defined by your family history, by your family culture, living in fear, living in defeat? Or are you going to let me redefine you as a mighty man of valor? Because Gideon could have said, could he not? Like, well, I understand what you're saying, God, but this is just how I was raised. This is who I am. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? Gideon had those excuses, but instead he followed God fearfully, but he followed God and did what he asked him to do. So we do not have to let the bad parts of our family history define us. You know, there are family sins that tend to go from one generation to the next, whether it's alcohol abuse, whether it's anger and physical abuse, whether it's divorce, I mean, the list goes on, right? But oftentimes when we grow up in a certain environment with parents that failed one way or another, we can believe the lie that because my parents, because my grandparents did this, I too am destined to do the same thing. I think this story of, of Gideon is encouraging to say that, hey, we don't have to be slaves to our family history. We don't have to be stuck in the sins of the past. God says just as Gideon was able to cut down his father's altars to Baal and Asherah, we can cut down the things in our family history that often come up to haunt us. You know, you do not have to be defined by the failures and sins of your family. It's, it's easy, though, isn't it, to say, well, this is how it's always been. This is how I was raised. This was the home that I grew up in. But we do not have to let those things define us. And so now, now Gideon is letting God define him as a man of valor. Look with me at verse 28. When the men of the town rose early in, in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. So what is expected in these verses is that the townspeople want to kill Gideon. That's part of the reason why he was so afraid to do it in the daytime. What is surprising, though, is who comes to Gideon's defense? His dad. Again, the same guy who had built the altar in the first place, the same guy who is now a young bull short in his livestock because Gideon killed it overnight. The last guy you think would come to Gideon's defense does so. And the thing that I love about this is that God is using Gideon's fearful obedience not only to transform him personally, but now his obedience is affecting his family as well. It's affecting his own dad. So God is not only redefining Gideon, he's changing the trajectory of Gideon's entire family. Both of my parents are first-generation Christians. My dad... Uh, grew up in India as a Hindu, and as far as we know, for the last however many millennia, that's what my family was. They were, uh, they were Hindus. My mom grew up as a Roman Catholic in Pittsburgh. It's the same thing there, a long family history of Roman Catholicism. 
But thankfully, by God's grace, they didn't let their family history or their family culture or their family religion define them. Instead, they responded in faith and repentance to the gospel. And now our whole family tree has changed. Now here I am talking to you. And now I have a, a beautiful eight-month-old daughter that, Lord willing, someday uh, will also be a follower of Jesus. That's what God's presence can do, not only for you individually, but also how it can affect your entire family. Let's continue in verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. So Midian is again preparing for yet another attack on Israel. But this time, instead of cowering in fear, Gideon blows a trumpet and calls all of these tribes together. But what I think is cool is that the very first tribe to respond is his own tribe, the Abiezrites. So now Gideon's faithful or fearful obedience is affecting not just him, not just his immediate family, but now it's affecting his entire clan. See, that's the ripple effects of our obedience to God, even though we might do it in fear. It will affect not only you, maybe not even your own family, but it will go beyond you. God loves to use our weakness, our weak obedience even, for a, a change and a shift that we could never perceive. So now the same people that were wanting to kill him just a few verses ago are now following him into battle against the enemy. So you'd think now Gideon is set, right? He's got all his people behind him. God's done some miracles. God spared his life. Now he's ready to go fight against the enemy without any fear. Well, not quite. Let's look at verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. So this is probably the most well-known part of Judges chapter 6 with Gideon and his fleece. In context, though, this is not the main point of this chapter. Because a lot of people like to think that this is some type of uh, tutorial on how to find the will of God for your life. Uh, but it's not. This is yet another example of Gideon being weak in faith, asking God for yet another sign, and God being faithful and kind and helping him along the way. What I love about God in this story is that he never chastises Gideon because of his lack of faith. He doesn't keep saying, Gideon, how many things do you need from me before you will just do what I asked you to do? God never says that in this chapter. He just patiently walks alongside Gideon, and he patiently keeps molding him into the mighty man of valor that he had already declared him to be. Now, Gideon knows that he shouldn't be asking God all this for, for all these signs. That's why I keep saying, hey, please, please don't be mad at me. And then in verse 36 and 37, he twice uses the phrase, as you have said. So Gideon knows exactly what God has said. The issue is, is that he just is afraid to obey. So the issue here is not knowing God's will. The issue is being obedient to it. But God in his grace answers Gideon's request. So when he gets up the next morning, the fleece is soaked and the ground around the fleece is bone dry. 
So there you go, another miracle, another answered prayer. Now Gideon is ready to go, right? I think you already know. Let's look at verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. So, even though God had just answered Gideon's prayer, he had just given him a miracle, Gideon still doubts. But, again, as much as I hate to admit it, that's exactly what I tend to do as well. I've prayed, I've asked God for things before, and wouldn't you know it, he's answered my prayer. Has God ever answered one of your prayers before? Raise your hand if God's answered your prayer. Amen, look at that. So in spite of all that, in spite of all the times God has answered prayer in my life, sadly, one of the things that I do when God does answer prayer is I immediately doubt. I'm like, you know, that was probably just going to happen anyway. Who knows if that was actually God? It's probably just a coincidence. Have you all ever done that before? I have, and that's what Gideon is doing here as well. God has just given him a miracle, and Gideon is like, you know, now that I think about it, fleece does retain water better than this ground. I bet you what happened was I waited too long to come out. The ground was probably already wet, and, you know, who knows what actually happened. That's pretty much what Gideon is doing. He's like, hey, I know you did, did exactly what I asked, but I'm still not sure. But again, God answers Gideon's prayer yet again, and this time, the next morning, the fleece is bone dry, and the ground around it is soaked. So even though it's not the main focus of this passage, the question does come up, well, what about God's will for my life? How am I supposed to know or, or do what God wants me to do? That's a question that many Christians wrestle with. I certainly have over the years. But I think that the question of what is God's will for my life should not be one that causes anxiousness in the life of a follower of Jesus. Uh, and so as you read the Bible, how often uh, do you see God's people asking, begging, pleading for God's will, and God is just withholding his will from them? How often do you see that? You, you don't really. Oftentimes it's the opposite. It's people like Gideon who are just doing their own thing. God intercepts their life, tells them exactly what he wants, and they're like, wow, I don't know if I can do that. So the issue is not knowing God's will so much as it is being obedient to God's will. So sh should you want to know God's will for your life? Absolutely. Does God care about where you go to school or who you marry or where you work? I think he absolutely does care about those things. But my point this morning is, is that when we get more honed in, we get more worried about finding the will of God for my life, more than we do pursuing a relationship and the presence of God in our life, then we are missing the point. Does that make sense? Our, our top priority as Christians should not be spending all this time discerning the will of God. Is that important? Yes. But our top priority is pursuing the presence of God in our life. I want to know God. I want to be close to God. I want to have an intimate relationship with God. Because I, I can't be close to God and not know what he wants at the same time. However, if I'm far away from God, wondering what he wants, I probably won't know what he wants. So how does God reveal his will to us then? 
Uh, there, there's three main ways that God shows us what his will for our lives are. And the first one is his word. If you brought your Bible, just go ahead and do this with me real quick. Just hold it up. And the part that we are open to in Judges, it's this part right here. It's kind of small, isn't it? It's even smaller for Gideon because he didn't have the book of Judges. That's how much Bible Gideon had. But this other part, is that bigger or smaller than what Gideon had? It's bigger. Do you think God wants you to know his will? Yes. Do you think God wants you to obey his will? Yes. That's why he gave us his word. We have this, this book that God has given to us that reveals his will for our life. So read his word. The next way God reveals his will to us is through his spirit, through prayer. Talk to God. He might just talk back to you. But also the great thing about prayer is that the more that we pray, the more God will shift and shape our will and bend it to match his own. Spend time talking with God in prayer. And the third way God shows us his will is through his people. It's through his church. Spend time with people who are also pursuing the presence of God. And God will use those people to direct you into his will. That's part of the reason why God has given us his local church. So if we say that we want the, the will of God for our life, but we neglect the daily reading of his word, but we only spend the spare change of our time in prayer, but we neglect the fellowship and the accountability of other believers in our local church, then we are setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting ourselves up to not know, to not do the will of God in our life. Because God's presence accompanies God's will. You know, when I read this story of Gideon, the first thing that I see are his fears, his doubts, his points of failure. And when I look at my life, I tend to do the same thing. I see the fear that I have for the future. I see the doubts that I have about uh, my role or my place and what God is doing in the world. But from the beginning, from the beginning of Judges chapter 6, God calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. Because God sees who we are in him, not who we are on our own. That's the awesome thing about God, is he doesn't just call us a fearful man. You think Gideon knew that he wasn't up for his calling? Yeah, he knew. That's why he was hiding out in the wine press. That's why he's like, God, give me a sign. I'm not the right guy for this. But from the beginning, God sees not who Gideon could become on his own, but who he was going to make Gideon into. And that's the way that God sees us as well. You might say, I'm, I'm here this morning. I'm full of doubt. I'm full of fear. I don't know if I can obey God in this way or that way. And God, just like he was patient with Gideon, he's patient with us to walk alongside of us and mold us and develop us and change us to, to be more like him. There's a chapter in the Bible that's known as the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. In that chapter, you have the people you would expect to find, like Abraham and Moses and David. But Gideon is also in the Hall of Faith. The author of Hebrews says that time would fail me to tell of Gideon, who through faith conquered kingdoms, obtained promises, and was made strong out of weakness. Gideon, the guy who doubted, the guy who kept asking God for a sign, the guy who was afraid, he is in the hall of faith. And to me, that's encouraging. Because it's not about the size of our faith. It's about the size 
of our God in whom we are putting our faith. So even though Gideon's faith was fearful, even though he was full of doubt, even though he struggled every step of the way, Gideon was listed right there alongside the people like Abraham, Moses, and David. Because God's presence changes everything. So you might be here thinking this morning, I don't know if I've ever had God's presence in my life. I don't know that I've ever experienced God's peace in my life. Well, before you can have the presence of God or the peace of God, the Bible says you have to first be at peace with God. The Bible says that because of our sin, we are at odds with him. The Bible describes it as being his enemies. But God wants to be peace. God wants to bring that peace into our life. So that's why he sent his son Jesus to save us. Jesus took the place of us, his enemies, on the cross. He died the death that we should have had to have died. And he took God's wrath and punishment on himself in our place. And the Bible says that when we trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that we are transformed from being God's enemies to being God's children. And so if that's you this morning, if you are here, sitting here, or you're watching online, and you're like, man, I, I don't know that I've ever had God's presence. I don't know that I've ever experienced God's peace. And I want to encourage you to text uh, the number that's on the screen. If you're here in person, you can also fill out a Connect card that's right in front of you and just mark that you want a relationship with Jesus. Because God wants to be involved in your life. God wants to be present. God wants you to experience his peace. And in, in Romans 5.1, the Bible says that when we accept that free gift of salvation, that we are justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you already are a follower of Jesus, then I want to urge you to make the presence of God a priority in your life. It is his presence that will bring you lasting peace. It is God's presence that will give you victory over sin. It is God's presence that will set you free from your family baggage. It is God's presence that will reveal his will for your life. So above everything else, before everything else, seek and pursue the presence of God because God's presence changes everything. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God that wants to be present in our lives, that you don't just leave us here on our own, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to take our place, to take our punishment, so that we could be at peace with you. And Lord, I ask that if there's anyone here or, in, or online this morning that uh, is not a follower of you, that has never experienced your peace or your presence, I ask that right now that they would give their life to you. And Father, for those of us who are already followers of Jesus, I ask that we would understand and realize and live out the importance of pursuing your presence in our lives. That we'd understand that we, we cannot know your will, that we cannot have peace, that we cannot overcome sin or defeat uh, our family baggage on our own, that we have to have your power and your presence in our lives. And so Lord, I thank you that just as you were patient with Gideon, that you are patient with us, even though we have doubts and fears and questions, I ask now that you would simply give us the strength, give us the faith to obey and pursue you. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you stand with me as the band leads us in worship?